This is Darker Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, I'm good. Uh, uh, what episode are we on? <laughs> oh, we're on episode oh, number 59. You you can see that from our show notes. Oh, we are, we are on 59. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, apparently we've got now 100 episodes, have we? With all uh, the dark links? I think we've, yeah, we've surpassed that uh, a little while back. Yeah, I got asked that on a podcast, and I was like, Really? Oh well. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, painting toy soldiers, writing things, though mainly doing stuff for jobs and research and things. So yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, definitely pretty awesome. And of course, we're joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Pretty good, Mike. Thanks for asking. All right, outstanding, outstanding. Yeah. So, uh, what's going on with everyone, Chig? What have you been playing lately? Um, well, our group decided to get together and uh, make a um, in nominee characters. Uh, then we went to Gen Con, all of us, and um, we decided that we're going to play games that we have purchased at Gen Con since we spent money on them instead of games that we've all had for years. So I think tonight when we get together, we're going to play a game called Golem Arcana. Golem with, Arcana? Uh, Golem Arcana. Golem Arcana, which, uh, surprising everybody, uh, not least of all the creators of Golem Arcana, was a massive, massive success at Gen Con. Well, it wasn't a massive success on Kickstarter, as I recall, so that's pretty sweet to see it uh, you know, up and running. Um, yeah, so p- for people that don't know, Golem Arcana is a uh, tabletop miniatures game, which... Uh, actually interfaces with tablets. So you have this little wand or pen that you use, and you can click on your tabletop miniatures on the table, and that uh, sends signals back to the uh, your Android tablet, uh, I think iOS as well, and lets you uh, complete your actions and choose your different attacks and, and that sort of thing. So it's very nice for uh, simplifying all the tables you find in, uh, in a war game um, and allowing for faster play. Yeah, the uh, the computer, the software does all of the uh, dice rolling or card flipping or whatever your standard uh, minis game requires. So all you have to do is say, I want to attack that guy with this guy. And it does all the, the heavy lifting for you. And it has some really neat uh, minis to, to go along with it. Uh, they all come pre-painted and they're just gorgeous. So uh, all my friends got a copy of that, so I didn't have to. It was very nice of them. So, yeah, we're going to be playing that tonight. Sounds pretty rad, pretty rad. All right, awesome. Chris, Chris, what's been going on? What's been going on? Um, let's see. I am back into painting some rack and miniatures because uh, I've had them undercoated for the last God knows how long, so I thought I may as well attack them and get them done. Um, and I am finishing up painting some other things and I uh, last weekend played some War Machine with my uh, Kador army So because uh, I finally got some Winter Guardsmen and yeah it's pretty scary uh, Kador army because it's a classic uh, Kador Death Star so you know you just march forward and none of your men die because you're just rolling tough checks all the time um, so that works out pretty cool um, 
Otherwise, I'm just still trying to get a um, stuff ready for playing Fading Suns and doing a few uh, few sessions of that. Um, anything else hobby-wise? Well, that's about it. I think um, other than my Gatormen army will be turning up this week. So the rest nice. of it. Nice. You went with the Gatormen. Uh, yeah, so I've got Caliban turning up and a Rassler and some Pharaoh Bone Grinders, who of course I can use with my Scorn and I can use that with Trolls as well. So, you know, it's the great thing about the game is that so much stuff is interchangeable. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, and obviously uh, it's kind of related hobby-wise. So a few weeks back, uh, the week before Gen Con, I was on... Uh, GM Jam, so that's a podcast run by Lowell and his mate, and that was about uh, changing the lost and games mastering it, and you know how I've run it compared to how a lot of other people have run it, and there's some interesting common threads come up in that, and ideas to how you approach, you know, getting your group together and how you run a chronicle. Um, I think the main thing that popped up out of that was how the the surprise element was when I said, well, you don't actually have to let everyone have access to playing every, you know, every court. You could just have all the players belong to one court. And that seemed apparently, wow, why haven't we done that before? And it's like, yeah, because it saves you a hell of a lot of hassle. Interesting. That has some uh, bearing on uh, something we'll be discussing later tonight. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So that's about it. <clears throat> All right, sweet. And what have I been doing for gaming? Not a lot of it because I can't think of any. Uh, oh, wait, I've done something else for gaming. And what? Mike, you've played it. We've played um, War Machine Tactics because that's oh, also that's right. That's right. pretty much, I would say, is a pretty solid translation of the game to uh, digital. There's still some a few bugs with some things like concealment and cloud effects and stuff, but pretty much runs as you expect it. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the interface right now, but it's still in beta, so... They upgraded well, the interface uh, just two days ago. Well, I guess I need to play it again. Nice, nice. Yeah, War Machine, it's pretty rad, pretty rad. I'm just sad that we do, will not have uh, Ashlyn Dealis as the uh, one of the starting... They did add... Uh, an extra warcast for each faction as well with okay. the update. Still not Ashland, though. Still not nah. Ashland. That's all right. Sweet. Okay, so uh, we obviously have quite a bit to talk about this episode uh, since we have coming up, or actually just past, uh, Gen Con. So let's move on over to the news segment and uh, see what's been going on. <laughs> All right, Chig. This was your sixth Gen Con, is that correct? I think it was my fifth. It might have been my sixth. They, so, you know, it's a, it's a heavy convention, so the days and years run together. Not a complaint. No, absolutely not. So, Chig, you've been to a couple of these. It's not your first rodeo, but uh, what'd you think of this one? Was it totes legit? It was ridiculous. There were so many people there. You know, every year they, they break the previous year's broken record of attendees and events. And it's just, 
Just incredible. If if uh, you or any of our listeners ever have the opportunity to go, take that opportunity. It is one of my favorite things to do. Sounds pretty good, Chig. And what were your favorite things to do there at Gen Con? Oh, I had uh, just so much fun. I mean, I, I obviously attended both of the World of Darkness uh, panels, and those were awesome. And uh, I recorded those on my phone, but apparently my phone doesn't know how to make small video files. So I'm working on making those um, accessible to people who don't want to download a 5-gig file to watch the, uh, you know, the two-hour chat or the one-hour chat. Um, uh, the dealer hall is always ridiculous. It's where everybody goes and sells all their, you know, their new toys and their latest and greatest. And uh, some of the old uh, standbys are there as well. Um, uh, just, but the best thing really is getting to uh, meet people that you only know online or that you only see at Gen Con and hang out and play games. So that was my experience. All right. Sounds pretty good, Chig. Sounds pretty good. All right. But one of the huge things going on at uh, Gen Con were some of the announcements that Onyx Path made, definitely of uh, you know importance to us here on uh, Darker Days Radio. So I think that the biggest announcement... The biggest announcement was Digital Web 3.0. I mean, that's the biggest thing in the entire show. <laughs> it was a pretty major announcement. There, there, there may have been a standing ovation when they mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was already announced in the uh, Mage Kickstarter like six months ago. But come on, guys, that was that was, was definitely it, the biggest thing. It was a delayed, but it was a, a well-deserved standing ovation. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, we could talk about how there's a new new World of Darkness game that was announced. Well, I mean, we, we, I, could I also, we could also <clears throat> discuss how uh, all of the new World of Darkness uh, game line books are going to be <clears throat> official second edition versions of the World of Darkness games. Indeed, and that's actually a great yeah. thing to bring up, uh, especially because what's going to be going on is so those those Chronicle books that were already planned, such as the uh, Idigum Chronicles and the Fallen World Chronicle for uh, Mage the Awakening, they're now just going to be released as second editions. None of the content that was intended for them is actually going to change. It's still going to have all the rules you need to play, uh, make your characters, tell your stories, and has the Chronicles inside them, but now it's actually going to be officially branded a second edition. So it's really just uh, you know the nomenclature of it, but it's it's mm. really appreciated, and I think it'll uh, make things a lot easier for new players coming in to realize like, hey, I shouldn't go for the you know vampire the, the requiem first edition. I should go for the new second edition, uh, which is also the Strix Chronicle. Did they um, say what they were going to do with the world? Of, I can't quite remember what they're doing with the World of Darkness core book because obviously, so within these books, because we know from Blood and Smoke. All the rules you you need to play are in that book. So how does this now affect the World of Darkness core book and the God Machine Chronicles rules that go on top of the core book? Is there going to be a new core book? Well, I'm going to answer that question by answering a different question first. So what's okay. going to happen with the Strix Chronicle? What's going to happen is they're going to release uh, Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition, and that is going to... Uh, be the official new second edition it has pretty much all the same material just some errata over the strix chronicle and if you uh previously purchased the uh, pdf version through drive through rpg you're going to get an updated version you're going to get that second edition so you don't have anything to worry about now with regard to the 
uh, God Machine Chronicle and the World of Darkness 2nd Edition core book, they will be releasing a, a new core book. I don't think they've uh, specifically answered or explained how that's going to affect the God Machine Chronicle book, uh, if it's going to replace it, or if it's just going to be a separate small rule book. Uh, we do know that it's going to have some of the more advanced rules, such as uh, vehicle rules in it, um, that haven't or will not make it into the uh, the second editions. So there still will be some uh, use for it, uh, for additional systems and more specific things, as well as uh, incorporating some of the, the interesting powers in Numina from, uh, from Second Sight. So mm, uh, you, yeah. you get those options as well. It's very, very cool that they've announced the official, you know, it being all official second edition because it also means not only are we getting second editions of Vampire, Mage, Werewolf, Promethean, Changeling, but we're also going to be getting a uh, second edition uh, brand new blue books, so for Mortal games. And, yeah, we haven't seen a new blue book for World of Darkness for quite some time. And they're always... Uh, generally on the whole really good books for just extra yeah. ideas for any game line yeah absolutely um prior to the god machine chronicle i think the newest blue book was i just had the name on the tip of my tongue uh glimpses of the unknown released yes. back in 2010 i believe so it's been quite some time uh so it'll be exciting to uh, get some new general world of darkness material um and it should be pretty rad and of course, there's a new uh, first edition coming out, isn't there? Um, really big news is going to be uh, Beast the Primordial. Don't let the name uh, initially uh, kind of turn you off. I know uh, when I first heard about it, I was like, huh, that's, you know, not the most exciting. But it seems like it has some very interesting ideas about um, uh, people becoming monsters. It seems to be really the, uh, the core tenant of it. Um, Chig, you are actually there at the Gen Con presentation. So could you could you just kind of pass along some of the cool ideas that uh, Mr. Black Hat Mac McFarland uh, stated about this game? Sure. Um, like you, I wasn't sure what exactly it was going to be at first. I thought maybe it was going to be more along the lines of a, uh, a Grindle or a, um, uh, what's the, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or Incredible Hulk kind of thing. Which, you know, doesn't sound horrible, but not really World of Darkness-y, I guess. Um, but uh, during the presentation, um, it was uh, clarified what the, the focus was going to be. Um, it's going to be more along the lines of uh, you play a character who has the, the inner soul of a primordial uh, monster. So there are families, which are called families, because... Things should be what they're called, okay. um, which are one of the splats um, of monsters. So you could have a um, a dragon type family was one of the uh, the ones mentioned specifically. The one mentioned specifically actually because somebody asked about it, where you don't change physically into a dragon. You just have the characteristics of a dragon, like you might be able to. Uh, breathe fire, but occasionally you have to go harass the the townspeople and maybe kidnap a princess or something. Um, now, in indulging your uh, primordial spirit inside, 
um, you have to maintain a very uh, definitive balance between uh, your primordial side and your human side, or else um, heroes will arise. And heroes are the uh, villains of this game, actually. Uh, a hero would be someone like Lancelot or like Beowulf, who uh, takes it in their head that they have to go and slay the beast. So um, actually they mentioned Gaston from uh, Beauty and the Beast as a, uh, a great <laughs> archetypal hero that you might encounter in this game. Uh, someone who thinks that they're doing right, but uh, in fact maybe not so much. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. They were, they were not super forthcoming because, I mean, it's not a, a finished game line. They haven't finished writing it or anything yet. So, I mean, it's all in flux at this point. But uh, it sounds super interesting. Yeah, definitely. And one of the interesting and core points that uh, I believe Mr. McFarland brought up is that this is supposed to be a very crossover-friendly game line. So it's going to be uh, very accessible for uh, people that say, like, Vampire the Requiem to uh, use beasts. <clears throat> and other material in their games. Interesting. Indeed, one of, one of the, uh, the points that he mentioned was uh, uh, the abilities of the beast, like, you know, your, whatever your powers are in a game. Um, you can mimic the abilities of other supernaturals. Hmm. So if you have, if you're playing in a beast game, and the example he gave was you have a friend who's an Osferatu, uh, you could develop powers based off of vampirism. You could develop powers based off of Nosferatu. Or you could develop powers based specifically off of your friend Bob the Nosferatu. It's, uh, it sounds like an interesting system. So That is super rad. With uh, the very nature of these, these uh, beasts, I mean, there's obviously already been some discussion about how close or not the concept is to, say, werewolf or... Um, or Changeling, for example, because again, Changeling, you have the entire beast seeming. So it will be interesting how these primordial creatures contrast to, say, werewolves, which are, again, uh, ancient, you know, kind of bloodline of, of uh, half wolf spirit, half man. Or to uh, changelings, so I think it'll be it'll be interesting when it comes out. Um, I think also sometimes when you hear complaints that oh well it sounds like werewolf, it's like well you can easily play beasts where werewolves aren't in that version of the world of darkness you're running. You know, not just because it's new world of darkness, all these things don't have to exist simultaneously with each other, and. Um, you know, you can see that when you go, you look at some of the content for Hunter, because obviously Hunter gives you uh, books, you know, like Night Stalkers, whichever, you know, whether it's for Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, or the new one they brought out. And it gives you ways of representing creatures of like within the other splats, but they don't actually have to be full on, these are kindred. Um, so I think sometimes people just need to step back a little and just except that sometimes you need another way to represent monsters that aren't what we already know as a type of monster. Mm. I concur. Indeed. <laughs> All right. So I think that's enough with Beast. Uh, let's actually just kind of go through the uh, mm -hmm. nice Onyx Path 
uh, little brochure that was provided at Gen Con. You just kind of go through and comment on any uh, cool new games that we haven't really, uh, or cool new books that we haven't really discussed uh, in the past. So uh, starting off with Vampire, um, all the books on this page have actually been released. So <laughs> let's just skip that uh, um, real quick. You're missing, you're missing uh, V20 Dark Ages. Um, that might be in a different it's section. In a different uh, section. Sorry, it's on page 24. I apologize, I skipped ahead. <laughs> to, the, right, cool, to, the, to the upcoming releases section. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of these are actually upcoming. So, for example, for uh, W20, Book of the Worms can be coming out. Uh, the Kickstarter yep. actually just ended not too long ago. So that's pretty exciting to see. Um, this is actually definitely a very necessary book, I feel, because if you go back and read, say, Book of the Worm, first edition from way back when, it's pretty over the top. It definitely has um, feelings similar to maybe like the old, uh, like early image comics and uh, some of the more zany Captain Planet type things from the uh, early 90s. It's really nice yeah. to see Book of the Worm kind of evolve, mature, and develop uh, into what it is now for uh, for W20. So that's definitely very necessary, I feel. Chig, did you, did you back that one? Of course I back that one. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> The uh, the original Book of the Worm, like you said, was very cartoony, super villainy, kind of over-the-top, ridiculous schemes. Uh, the As the game line progressed, it got more and more not realistic because, you know, there's no one actually releasing evil spirits in their toxic waste just for shits and grins, but uh, more down-to-earth in their scheming, I guess. And uh, the revised, or the... the Book of the Worm 20th edition uh, looks to be the, the latest in that uh, that trend. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Sweet, sweet. And just skipping ahead, looking at some of the uh, nice stuff coming out for Mage 20th, uh, we of course have things that have been released. Uh, how do you do that? The Practical Guide to Sphere Magic. Um, so it's going to be a basic overview of how to do common magical effects and really explains <laughs> how Paradigm and the magic system of uh, Mage the Ascension kind of all ties together, uh, which is definitely something they should have put out 20 years ago. At yes. least. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> uh, what we have here, uh, Gods, Monsters, and Other Familiar Strangers. It's a uh, character compendium for Mage 20th. Uh, meh. Also, meh. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, um, uh, the NPC I, anthologies have always been kind of... Eh. It's not... It's. I mean, it's it's great, and I understand that you can go there for a source of inspiration or for a quick you know, NPC or a quick bad guy or whatever, but eh. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they can put in there that's a bit more new, or at least uh, a re revisiting an old concept, because Bygones, I remember, oh, which mage book was that in? No, it was in one I had. Could be in the, the Bygone, the bygone Bestiary. Yeah. <laughs> That is a great book if you want to play um, Pokemon in the World of Darkness, by the way. Oh, I think it was in the Storyteller's Handbook or something, if I also remember. Um, yep. Anyway. Yep. So that's something. Uh, M20 Book of Secrets. It is the uh, kind of, it's really just the uh, the Mage Companion book. It uh, has a lot of the cut material and other things that they couldn't include in the very large Mage 20th uh core rulebook that'll be coming out soon so i guess that combined with the how do you do that essentially makes gives you kind of a a, a player's handbook for mage mm. because it, it kind of 
if it's extended rules and advice and also looks at traits and and so forth then it would maybe look at how trait what what a trait means kind of in in a story sense much like you know say um what was it called the blood did for vampire the requiem indeed indeed yeah it's a Personally, I'm really looking forward to the uh, information on subsects because, as we all know, I Mm -hmm. am a huge fan of crafts and the disparate or whatever they happen to call them in this edition. Yeah, it should be pretty sweet. Also coming up for May 20th is uh, Book of the Fallen, a little uh, update for the Nefandi, who are the uh, original mage mustache-twirling villains. So it'll be good to uh, get them updated as well. Um, although I think there was a Book of the Fallen in Revised, wasn't there, Chig? Yes, there was indeed. Was it? It, uh, it covered. It was Fandy. better. It was much better than the uh, the Book of the Fallen in the first and second editions. Yes. Okay. All right, that's good. That's good to hear. It had Nefandi and Marauders and something else. It but had, it was uh, pretty decent. It had all the uh, the quiet types yeah. that you could have. Um. Yes. I can't remember what the, what the uh, the third one is called. Clarity, maybe. Anyway, I'll take your word for it. And then, Chick, you are so excited for this last one, aren't you? You are pumped because when that Mage Kickstarter was going on, there was one stretch goal you really wanted, and then we fell short. We fell short by like five dollars. But yeah, Chick, like here it is. Here it is. Cents. Technocracy reloaded. It's a 21st century guide to the technocracy, including Asian and African technocracy divisions, threat null, arrays of new gear, and potential options for infiltration, reorganization, and other surprises. Aww, yeah. Not Given... super thrilled about threat null. I concur. But, uh, but I am very happy to see that they have uh, moved away from the dragons of the east. Uh, we, we're, spe- <laughs> we're special because we're from Asia, technocrats. Oh. That's, yeah. that's very nice. Given we had all the, 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 the other four uh, convention books come out recently, I say recently, in the last year or so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting how how those now go forward into this book, and I think obviously address the Asian and African technocracy divisions. That's going to be quite interesting. Cool, Could it be interesting. Yeah, Threatnall Chig. I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic. I it like to think that they were pretty lame in uh, in convention book award engineers, but maybe, maybe. You know they're gonna think about it a little bit and give them some more depth and just make them more interesting. You know it well, could they... happen. It's happened before in the world of darkness. This is true. This is absolutely true. So, well, throw my heart into cautious optimism with you. <laughs> Are they gonna revisit uh, Panopticon as well within that? Because that was something that came out towards the end of revised. It doesn't say one way or the other. Yes. But yeah, they, they kind of uh, glossed over that in the revised tradition or the revised um, uh, convention books. Yeah, because it was in um, transmissions to the Rogue t- uh, Council. So yeah, it'd be interesting that one. Cool. Sweet. And next up, we have, of course, Wraith the Oblivion 20th Anniversary Edition. It's going to be coming out. It's going to be huge. It's going to be coming gonna... out. I'm going to go out and say something which is going to be shock horror for me. I think out of all the uh, 20th anniversaries, I'll mostly pledge for that one. <gasps> no. Yeah. <laughs> no. One thing because... that was brought up during the uh, the discussion for Wraith 20th 
that I thought was uh, interesting was they they currently have no plans to uh, retread the Orpheus game line. Oh. Although 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 it could become a stretch goal. Yeah, that's mm. cool. Sweet. All right. What else we have here? Of course, Vampire the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary Edition. It's really more of a V20 book than a Dark Ages 20th, um, as I recall. Yes, because, because it is not the 20th anniversary of the Dark Ages line. Yeah. Well, yeah, it might get pretty close. I mean, uh, Dark Ages came out in 1996, I believe. Yes, and this is scheduled so. to come out in 2015. So it's the 19th Anniversary Edition. Okay. All right. But uh, but yeah, they they said specifically that they didn't want to wait until the twentieth anniversary of the Dark Ages line to do it because uh, they're really having fun with the uh, Vampire twentieth, and it's a Vampire twentieth kind of expansion game book. So if yeah. they do all of the Dark Ages as if they do those setting books as pure expansions to the 20th anniversaries of the main game lines. I think that's mostly a better route than just doing 20th anniversary Dark Ages. Um, uh, I know there's some feelings that in some respects some people prefer Vampire the Dark Ages over Dark Ages Vampire. Sometimes sometimes that comes from like preference of the art style and maybe just how certain things are approached. but, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I will agree with you with two exceptions, Chris. Okay. There, there, there is no uh, Modern Knights Inquisitors game mm. off of which they could base it. And Dark Ages Fae was horrible. Oh, really? Absolutely horrible. Let's not talk about Dark Ages Fae. All right, because I, I waited. Have very strong I waited for how many years? Dark Ages how Fae. many years did I wait to get that book? All right, all these people told me it was great. Who I don't told think, you this? I don't think they Who even read lied it. lied to you? Dude, just go on, Chig, just go on the Onyx Path website, search Dark Ages Fae, and you'll have so many people being like, I love this book. It was so great. It changed my <laughs> I, life. I told you. Did I not? That you it was... did tell me. Okay, you did then. tell me, and, and I should have trusted you, I did you, my Chig. due diligence. <laughs> I should have trusted you and saved my $30 or whatever. <laughs> we'll, we will review Dark Ages Fae at some point. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, sweet. And then a couple pages of available now. Skip right through that. World of Darkness. Dark Eras. Yeah, where is that? Isn't that? Is that That's on the was, very first page. It was on the very first page, yeah. Shh, um, skipped it. Page two, rather. The very okay, first page. Gosh, Chig, come on. Come on. Just work with me here. Work with me. Dark Ages Fae is god awful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dark, so New World of Darkness, Dark Eras. Um, I can't remember all the things we know for that. Uh, what was that? That's Vampire the Requiem set in Elizabethan London. We also Correct. have Changeling the Lost set in uh, pre-revolution France. Uh, so that's Versailles as well. Um, Demon in the Cold War. Yep. Geist was set when? Uh, New Zealand in the 1950s. Yes. Yeah, I believe it was the 50s. Werewolf 50s. is 70s New York. Yeah. Is that right? That's going to be right. Um, Mage is something really, really ancient. Like Is that the Alex. Ottoman Empire? 
Is it? No, it's uh, I it was older than the Great. No, wait, was, it's uh, Alexander was, the Great, yeah. Mesopotamia was Promethean the Ottoman Empire then? Because I know that there nope. was one. Uh, like... No, nope. well, Promethean's uh, Great Depression. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The Dust Bowl era. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it's going to be a cool book. It is. And one of the things they announced, Gen Con, is that they might they might have some stretch goals for other dark eras, depending on what people are really asking for during the Kickstarter. So that's definitely one to get in on the uh, ground floor of, because uh, you can influence, you know, where the writers go. It would be pretty neat to have like some side PDF exploring, say Prometheans in, um, <laughs> in... Prometheans, I think Prometheans somewhere in and around maybe something like Europe or Africa. You know, I really it's... wanted to see actually Werewolf in, in the Great War. I thought mm. that would be interesting. There was a uh, a lodge in one of the lodge source books that was pretty neat that was discussing that. They, they were, of course, in the modern day, but they were born out of uh, what was going on in the Great War. Yeah, pretty good stuff. You say anyway, Prometheans in Africa, and all I can think about is Live Aid fighting the uh, the effects of the Promethean. Uh, what's their ability where they kill everything that grows? The wasteland effect. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. Vampire the Requiem. What do we got? Secrets of the Covenants. Yeah. If that if that they say it's clan book style. So obviously, if that means all all the uh, information from the all the information they've not included in Blood and Smoke to do with the Covenants is nice and compactly given in a less dry uh, format to read, then that's great. So it should be, should be a good one. And also, because it's clan book format, um, then there should be plenty of uh, kind of um, uh, game world artifacts, you know, so hopefully we'll get um, various passages from certain books. Um, you know, some it'd be nice to see some stuff like some companion pieces to go with the uh, Testament of Longinus. So maybe some of the uh, apocryphal uh, texts would be kind of useful in there. Interesting. Now, Chris, do you think that this is going to replace the uh, previous Covenant books for Vampire the Requiem, or is it just going to supplement? I would say, given what amount of work has been done in Blood and Smoke to present the Covenants. I would say this would, I would go towards sort of replacing, as in there's a lot of information in the in the original books, but a lot of that's already, as I said, has been distilled down into blood and smoke. So I think this one is just going to give, kind of re-examine the stuff they didn't have space for. Hmm. Because you just, I mean, you look at the list of like devotions, uh, that turn up in Blood and Smoke, and so many of them are another iteration of things that were in the Covenant books, and also the way they talk about, say, uh, the Carthians and uh, and so forth in those books. Um, in, in sorry, in Blood and Smoke, it just really represents how Blood and Smoke finally grabs hold of how what hold of the Covenants when they the ideas are fully matured so i think secrets of the covenant is going to really be a proper replacement i could be wrong though and uh you know yeah oh, i well. mean yeah we'll see what happens <laughs> and next up uh, we have the idgum chronicle yes. werewolf of forsaken second edition 
So we have the Idigam Chronicle, and we will also have, of course, whatever the uh, fiction anthology is for that. Um, cool. I mean, yes. everything we've seen so far from Stu's blog post about it is great because um, they're. I think the interesting thing for the system is going to be uh, the morality system because it's more, it'll be looking more at how that's meant to be a balance of things rather than, you know, you want to be high humanity and so forth. Yep. Um, is there anything else we know from the blog post? I haven't read some of them recently. Well, the cool thing about uh, the new morality stat with Harmony is that you want to be at five. You want to be yeah. in the middle. You don't want to be at ten. don't want to be at one. So that's kind of neat. Um, although you do get some different effects as you lean more towards being human or more towards the uh, more spiritual wolf side. Yeah, yeah, it's going to yeah. be a really good... Hopefully it's going to be a really good book. Because again, I think I would say Werewolf is sometimes one of those games which, again, it's kind of hard to know exactly how you should run it. And if it can present different ways of how you run the game well, then it would go a long distance to uh, maybe resolving the game, uh, resolving issues people have who only ever see werewolf as a, here's your pack, go kill spirits, and that's it. You know, you don't want to just play Splatterpunk. Yep, absolutely. Next up, we, of course, have Demon the Descent, and uh, lists a bunch of books that are already out. Uh, in the upcoming releases, it has a book that just came out, we should probably mention, yes. Splintered City, Seattle. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, we also have, uh, that's out um, for the, I guess it's out to buy, and it should be out. Um, so Splinter City Seattle is a Kickstarter stretch goal that's, I think, free to download for backers. Uh, I can't remember my email from, uh, let's see, there's another book that came out, though. Here we go. Richard Thomas sent you a message about Demon the Descent. And I think the other thing that's out is, here's your link to Splintered City, here's your link to Demon the Descent Interface Fiction Anthology. So that right. is now also hopefully soon to be available to non-backers as well. So yeah, a lot of stuff out for Demon and Storyteller's Guide. Um, and uh, yeah, cool. Isn't it great when you randomly get some email or Kickstarter <laughs> message from Rich Thomas and you're like, oh, sweet, I just get a free book. Yeah, awesome. I know. It, happen it happens far too frequently. Um, yeah. I disagree. Like I will take all the free books they would like to send me. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Uh, we missed Mage. I was going to say, I thought maybe exactly. it wasn't yeah. in the uh, PDF version. Oh, whoops. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mage the Awakening. It's pretty huge. Uh, Fallen World Chronicle. Mage the Awakening 2nd Edition. Have you read the um, any of the latest blog post updates on that? I haven't actually got around to reading them yet. Uh, I know there's been some stuff to do with uh, Supernal Paths, maybe, and something to do with Paradox, because Dave is putting out... Yeah, let, let, me, let me just say that Dave Brookshaw is the man. He's pumping out blog he's, posts. He's great. He's great. He's pumping them out faster than I can read them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Skipping ahead. Oh, hey, Exalted. Hey, Exalted, hey, Exalted still third edition. For. Yeah, it's taking a little while. But if we go, I'll say planned releases again, typical stuff. If you're going to get Exalted or you've already backed it and you're waiting for it, 
obviously. The book on Dragon Blooded is always good to have um, because actually potentially a really good chronicle to play is playing Dragon Blooded. Uh, the other one on the list there that I like is oh Towers of the Mighty. So covers First Age Ruins. That's fun. Hmm. Uh, the city of uh, Rathes is always great for its uh, dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> And different skies looks interesting. Uh, that looks like uh, that looks like Scavenger Sun's third edition to me. Um, so that's basically the general area, the River Province, where you play them. You know, I, I just want to see. I really just want to see Exalted's combat system. If it makes it playable, then fine. It does have a brand new core system, so yeah. But we haven't seen it, and we're still it, waiting. So it couldn't there. hurt, right? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I think one of the main problems... Can we just talk about Exalted for a second? Sure. Okay. I think one of the main <laughs> problems is that it's built off of the, uh, you know, 1 dot to 5 dot World of Darkness system, and that doesn't give it enough granularity and difference when all of these Exalted want to have, like, 4 or 5 dots just to begin with. Um, and because of that, that causes a lot of problems. And then you get into all the uh, perfect defense, perfect offense uh, mechanics, which really just drag out combat overall. This is one of those games I feel like they probably should have gone with something different or kind of just completely rehauled the uh, the storyteller system, which is what it sounds like they're finally doing with uh, third edition. So that's that's going to be good, I hope. And hopefully they will port that more granular system over to Scion, which also suffered yes. from that exact same problem Except in my experience. Scion and Trinity Continuum, which is the next thing in the book, um, are actually going to be using a whole new, brand new system, brand new system, and uh, it's not related to uh, the the original storyteller system. It, well, let's think. They're going to mostly keep pools of D tens. That's what they said. That's what they said. But what else do we know that they're going to? Well, what else do we know about this new system? Uh, I haven't done enough research. I don't even know if they've said anything uh, about it. But, I mean, it just kind of makes sense that they don't actually own the uh, storyteller or storytelling systems, so they need to kind of make up their own for uh, the games that Rich Tones <sighs> and Onyx Path actually own. Well, That's true. That's true. Uh, I mean, to own a system, you can't really own a, a die system anyway. You can't patent it. Um, uh, yeah. So it, it, the whole point is to, is to have a system that is distinct enough to be marketed as their own product rather than just a, a spin-off correct correct sweet all right well yep trinity continuum it's, it's gonna be coming out soon i want to point out that uh, the first game in the trinity continuum game line is called aeon i asked about that they uh they are not uh, worried about mtv suing them again so it will be called aeon did MTV actually sue them or just said, like, hey, we're already doing this one thing. Can we just, like, avoid any problems here? I believe there was a threat of a lawsuit, and they just went ahead and changed the name to Trinity to avoid that threat. I'm not sure that yeah, any, any, any suit was actually filed. That would make sense to me. But uh, I still have my book with the word Aeon on the cover, so it's fine by me. Sweet. <laughs> Scion 2nd Edition. Um... That's something I've not read Scion or really know anything about it. So Scion is, never is, played it. It's 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 one of those games that has a fantastic concept, 
and it could almost fit into the world of darkness, almost. But uh, it use it it runs into that same problem that uh, we discussed about Exalted with the the system not being granular enough or not having a wide enough range of uh, characters. There's a lot of, in my experience in Scion, uh, there are two kinds of characters you can make. You can make the kind of character that can never be hit, or you can make the kind of character that uh, can never hit anything. And that goes, <laughs> yeah. that, that goes, that goes for um, any type of, of hit that you're, that you want to discuss, whether it's, you know, physical bruisers or it's intellectual powerhouses or it's uh social mavens it's uh it's it's a definite issue in the game sweet sweet all right so hopefully hopefully the new system will uh will remove that cool and now we actually get to the upcoming releases uh whoops i guess we should have started here Oh, like some, of us, some of us tried to begin here. I'm not going to well, point right, my finger listen, at anybody. Listen, some of us didn't read this until right now, so let's just go <laughs> well, through and see sorry, what we missed. But... Okay. All right. Uh, V20 Ghouls. There's also stuff that's not in here, by the way, that was mentioned oh. that I can oh. I can. Well, we can talk about that after. Well, there's Darker at least one thing, one thing that I definitely want to mention, but we'll get to that at the end. <laughs> All right. V20 Ghouls. Uh, so it's going to be an update to Ghouls Fatal Addiction, which was uh, probably the second best Vampire of the Masquerade book. Maybe the best. I would put it up there in the best. It's I don't the know best. what I don't know what you consider better than Fatal Addiction, but uh, was... the Vampire Storyteller's Handbook with its appendix on the Talmahera or the uh, True Black Hand. Yeah, I'm still going to go with uh, Ghouls on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's acceptable. It's pretty great. Um, so hopefully this, uh, is just as good. Mummy or the better. Curse. Uh, Mummy the Curse, Curse of the Blue Nile. An anthology of mummy novellas. One for each guild. That could be quite useful for yeah, hopefully, getting your head into the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hopefully that will, um, answer the question of what does a mummy do all day? Which, uh, is kind of sometimes an issue... With, Wonders uh, around saying Jafar Cree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it should be re- it should be useful. I mean, um, that's a cultist, clearly. <laughs> obviously, all the um, I would say all the fiction we've had for like uh, God Machine Chronicles, uh, Vampire the Requiem. I mean, I've not finished reading all the books. I've read enough in there though to say what ideas do turn up in there are good. So, books of fiction are useful to get a feel for the setting. And one little tidbit that they shared in the uh, panel, the Curse of the Blue Nile is yeah. a... Uh, um, each story uh, centers around this particular MacGuffin called the Blue Nile. And it's, oh, okay. diff- it's, it's different in every story. Cool. So what, what it happens to be is what drives the story, but every story has a different Blue Nile. Interesting. If that makes sense. That's kind of a cool idea. I like I it. I thought so. I like it. V20. Nope, sorry. W20. The Umbra. Come on. I'm sure Chig will back it. No, it's not in Kickstarter. It's PDF POD. Yeah, afraid so. I think that it was part of the uh, W20 stretch goals, maybe. Uh, might have been. We covered all of these, covered all of these. What? Vampire the Requiem, A Thousand Years of Night. Chris, what is yeah. this? Yeah, I, I I can't remember why we. It's not the heard elders' this. book. 
Yeah, well, uh, if you want to play Elders for Vampire Requiem, fine. I mean, if it's a guide to how to do that with new system and so forth, then yeah, cool. Uh, personally, I don't. I've never really ran an Elders game. I don't find it that interesting a thing to look at. Um, it might be interesting if it provides uh, kind of the same uh, sort of a, the same sort of information that's in uh, my favorite uh, Vampire the Masquerade book, Gilded Cage, which is you know how do Elders live in the modern nights and deal with that type of thing. Um, they actually I'll... mentioned that during the uh, oh good dur- dur- during the th- the uh, conversation panel panelists were. Um, that uh, instead of being, you know, old fogies who are out of touch and don't know how to use a cell phone, um, elders in Requiem are pretty canny guys. Yeah. So it, it will definitely uh, a cover that you're not just playing some decrepit old fart. Yeah, not some anachronistic person. Exactly. Who has no idea. The thing that will be interesting about this book, though, is because... Requiem vampires are elders in particular quite different because obviously you have things like um, the Invictus with their cyclic um, chapter houses, uh, dynastic houses. So, you know, one elder awakes when another one goes to sleep um, and that way they retain all their resources. Uh, And then also the other thing to do with uh, uh, Requiem vampires, of course, is uh, the fog of ages, the fog of eternity and how they deal with, you know, waking up and their memories have been, uh, you know, messed around with due to their sleep to thin their blood. Couple that with the Strix and yeah, there's quite a lot of unique things for elders in Requiem. Cool. Uh, yeah. What's this one? V20, Lore of the Clans? Did we, we mostly knew of this one? No, we didn't. Uh, so it's going to be mini clan books all uh, put together into one kind of anthology uh, source book. So it's going to be pretty big, 240 pages, and should be uh, pretty rad. That's Ooh, just deluxe edition as well. Just so. the clans. It's, it doesn't Kick include any up. of the bloodlines. However, it does include the anti-tribute, which uh, we're missing in a lot of yeah. the older clan books. They are mentioned in the revised books, but not in much detail. Yeah, in passing. In passing. So uh, You can get a little bit of about them in the um, Storyteller's Guide, or just Guide to the Sabbat uh, for sure. revised. But, I mean, you know, if, if I get a book about a clan, I want the entire clan, not just the half that happens to be... Cam, uh, Camarilla or the half that happens to be Sabat for those two guys. Well, there's only like three Zimitsi and Tichibu. But anyway, uh, what else we have here? Promethean the Created Firestorm Chronicle Fiction Anthology, which seems to indicate Ooh. Promethean the Created Second Edition. Hurrah. Yep. Um, That's exactly fiction- what that is. I would say this fiction anthology for Promethean will be really interesting. Yep. Um, looking forward to that one. Um, there's nothing more to say about that. And um, Vampire the Requiem Half Damned. So this is uh, this looks to me like a combination of books. This to me is second edition uh, Vampire the Requiem Ghouls and Vampire the Requiem Wicked Dead. Uh, so ghouls contain ghouls and Wicked Dead contained things that were kind of like vampires but like kindred but it had like the revenants and and so forth so 
Um, yeah, it's just our second edition version of that. So it'll be interesting how they treat. And you're missing the the huge selling point here. It contains Dompier. So you can finally play your uh, your blade character. They were already in. The they were already oh. in Wicked Dead. <laughs> they already I in Wicked that Dead. Book. I'm sorry. The thing, the thing though, that's important with uh, Vampire Requiem is is they if it's covering Revenants as well. So you yep. have your Revenants, you have your Draugr, and that all goes into how Vampire the Requiem has a lot more variety and how a vampire can be embraced. So. Um, that's cool. Uh, what's next up? Uh, Shattered arms. Dreams. Shattered Dreams. Ooh. For Werewolf 20. So, interestingly, it says it presents the wars, plural, of the Guru and Ferris. That means, I guess, it's something even beyond the wars of the War of Rage. Uh, I specifically. asked about this, and it, it begins in prehistory and continues <laughs> through the modern nights. So... They haven't exactly been open wars, but uh, the um, what are they? Uh, the Naga, of course, have been waging a war of assassination forever, basically. The Naga? So, do, do they still even exist? Of course not. They were killed in the Wars of Rage. Don't right, be silly. Right. Mage Awakening shards of power. Covering the uh, physical, tangible expressions of magic, sacraments, magical tools, grimoires, and more. As well as the creation I'm... of archmages. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what this is a This is a second edition version of. Um, it's the stuff book. It's the stuff book, yeah. It's the stuff book. And, um, but if, they, if it's along the lines of, say, uh, reliquary the world of darkness and so forth and so obviously it's things with lots of plot hooks then that's no bad thing awesome and of course next up well well chig chig we can both agree that the vampire storyteller's handbook with the uh Talmahira appendix is clearly the best vampire book but i will put that in my top five but, but someone's trying to usurp that someone's trying to challenge the amazingness of that Tal- that Talmahira and True Black Hand Appendix. And that man's David Hill, all right? He's coming out with The Black Hand, Guide to the Talmahera for V20. I don't know. I don't know if he can uh, dominate the amazingness of the uh, Solier virus and crazy ghost baby things and the chatterlings and all of that. Chig, what do you think? I don't know, man. If it doesn't say that vampirism is a disease from outer space, then I don't know how it can compare no, to no, previous no, editions. No, no, it's only vicissitude that's an outer space virus. <laughs> uh, this wait, one could be pretty interesting. No, 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 no. Wasn't the first adventure for vampire that came out, you know, 23, 24 years ago now, was that not uh, vampires are uh, an outer space-born monster? Uh no, I don't know what you're talking what, about. What was it called? The first adventure in the Vampire Frustration core book takes place in Gary, Indiana, where you've got yeah. Juggler, the Anarch, and Morbius, yeah. the uh, douchebag Toreador prince. Dang it, what am I thinking of? It'll come to me. I think you're uh, misremembering, sir. It's entirely possible. Indeed. <clears throat> wait, but... wait, wait, wait. What was Alien Hunger? <clears throat> Alien Hunger... <laughs> has nothing to do with (laughs) 
sorry. Um, Alien Hunger is the one where you find out that Louis Pasteur is a vampire, and he makes <laughs> a vampire serum to turn you into your player characters into vampires. Oh God, that's right. Oh, also, Louis Pasteur is a vampire living in Denver. Because well, that that's makes sense. That's where I would live if I were an undead Louis Pasteur. Yeah, it's the Mile High City. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. Wow! All right, sweet. We already talked about uh, Promethean Second Edition. Oh snap! Here it comes, guys. M twenty Mage twentieth Victorian Mage. Wow. Mm, okay. Wow. Um, this is this is a big one right here. Okay. Here's what um, I remember from the discussion. Okay. So during during this time period, 1880 to 1897, it is um, after the Order of Reason has been defeated, as it were, by the traditions. So the traditions are all on top of the of their respective world. There is a resurgence in um, uh, occultism with the, uh, the the founding of the Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, so they think that they have all won, and of course they then fall to infighting. Meanwhile, uh, there's this new group out there that calls itself the Technocracy, which is completely brand new and just sprung up overnight from somewhere. We don't really know where. And uh, it turns out that they may be, at some point, a minor threat <laughs> to the victorious uh, Victorian mages. You see, that's cool and great and is what I would love the focus to be kind of on this kind of like, I guess, Victorian kind of spy kind of thriller as, you know, hmm. secret societies fall and rise. What I don't want is this to be Sons of Either uh, Circle Jerk. Well, you're in luck because the Sons of Ether don't exist yet. Oh, yes. Thank fuck. Good. They are the Electrodyne engineers. Yeah. So don't worry. Your steampunk fantasies can be realized. No, no. Please. Please, Chick. <laughs> Chick. If, if there's any, any Onyx Path writers out there, I beseech you. I beseech you. Don't. Don't pander. Don't do steampunk. Just don't do it. Okay? Steam, steam technology has been around for a while, right? If you're going to do something punk... Do electricity punk. Yeah. It kind of makes sense, you know. Do some cool contraptions. Oh, wait, they become real. And, uh, you know, electricity is not really a new discovery, but it's uh, used in many new inventions in the uh, late Victorian period. So I think that would really work. So if you're Mm going to punk something, punk with electricity. And also, um, writers, this period was covered briefly in uh, the Guide to the Traditions, and uh, there was mention of a Promethean plague, where everybody wants to go out and uh, mimic uh, Dr. Frankenstein to unforeseeably catastrophic ends. So if you want to include that as a uh, little chronicle idea, might be worth the uh, think. Alright, what else we got here? Getting towards the end. New World of Darkness, The Hurt Locker. Um, it's basically another armory book, um, so that'd be cool. It'll update and expand combat and uh, different combat things, items, for the new God Machine Chronicles update. You know, should be good. 
If it covers, uh, if it updates all their stuff for how to play military-based characters, that'll be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, if you have all those weapons, you may as well have some backgrounds and you know traits that make it more viable to represent some military organization. That yeah, that was uh, that was Dogs of War that uh, really was that discussed. Yeah, was yeah, it's New oh, okay. World of Darkness Blue Book. Uh, New World of Dark- or World of Darkness uh, Dogs of War. Uh, okay. I read some of it. It's like the first chapter was basically just like let's talk about what the American Army is. And I was like, um, okay. Not really that exciting. Not to uh, say it's a bad book, but uh, anyway, yes, it would be good if that was uh, expanded upon in some ways for the new God Machine rules. Uh, jumping ahead, V20 Beckett's Jihad Diary. That's uh, something. I, I'm literally... Uh, let me just not, read the... It's not necessarily just another, hey, here's some awesome characters we came up with book. Um in addition to, hey, here's some awesome characters, it will also provide uh, various ideas and uh, chronicle examples of how to run and how to play in a uh, Jihad campaign. So, for instance, if you want to play a, if you want to know how the Sabat besiege and take over a city from the Camarilla or vice versa, the information should be somewhere in this book. Oh, okay, this one. Yeah, 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 this is the one that also includes a how-to guide if you want to run different uh, existing Vampire the Masquerade Chronicles, like the Transylvania Chronicles and the uh, the Giovanni Chronicles. Uh, so it's finally gotten to the point with the uh, Vampire Metaplot that they decide, like, we should probably put out a source book that explains how you use all of our other source books. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy talk, Matt. Why would we need that? Uh, my name's Mike. What did I say? You said that. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy talk, Mike. Why would we need that? Yeah, why would we? But what we do need is Changeling the Lost, second edition anthology, The Huntsman Chronicle. Uh, yeah, that's going to rock. Changeling the Lost is perhaps one of the most loved NWOD games there is. So to actually have an anthology of fiction based on all of that, it should be ultra creepy. And of um, course, this is summer of 2015, so the yeah. uh, the actual second edition itself should be out sometime in the fall of 2015. Yeah. Yep, should be pretty great. Um, of course, we have W20 Changing Ways, talking about psychology and culture of the Guru, uh, their different hunter and religious uh, aspects, so that should be pretty sweet. The uh, the changing ways sounds yeah. super interesting. Indeed. It will all in addition to just being you know how you, how to think like a, a guru. It will also include stuff like um, well in the the old books it always talked about how they had their their special you know etiquette and what exactly they they do to show that etiquette to show submission or domination was never really covered in any great detail. So, yeah, so supposedly, this is going to be the book that explains how you how you actually role play as a get yeah. so in that it's, society. It's, it's W twenty answer to Blood of the Wolf, which was for Werewolf the Forsaken, which did kind of the same things. Exactly. Which is good. Cool. I agree. Awesome, and of course, last thing on the list, most important, Digital Web 
3.0. That's right, digital web for the new millennium. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how different it is from the previous two because because the internet is certainly not what <laughs> what was ever imagined back then. So. What are you yeah. talking about? Just yesterday, I put on my my VR goggles, and I was in a cyberspace cafe. Really? You not, were you guys not there too? <laughs> God. Whatever. <laughs> and with that, we're finally done with this. It's an hour into the show, guys, and we haven't gotten to our actual segments. So, let's, but wait, uh, there's more. But oh, wait, no. oh, that's right, Jake. More. You have, you there's have cool the things you biggest want to talk about. and best announcement of the convention, not even in their book. All oh, right, changing the dreaming. 20th anniversary edition <laughs> confirmed huzzah <laughs> hey Chig, are you a developer for it they do not yet have a developer for this line and in fact may not go with a single developer but instead a development team yeah i think they should have a unified vision for changeling you know i haven't read Why a lot of changeling now? books i haven't read a lot of them let me just say, probably having a unified vision would be a good thing for that game line. Why start now, Mike? Come on. They've never had a single vision. Right. We, have, we have 20 years of tradition. Gotta stick with it. Of just being a chaotic, chaotic game. But I, I, I have faith that the 20th anniversary edition that will probably be announced officially in next year's brochure will be everything I hope for and everything I dream and if it's not, I won't cry for more than a few years. Maybe you should just try being cautiously optimistic. No, 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 no. I'm pinning every hope and dream on this. <laughs> okay. All right, Chig. What is the worst that could happen, Mike? Come on. Ever read? Don't actually answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's move on over to the classic World of Darkness. Classic World of Darkness. Okay, um, we just talked about a whole lot of books. Uh, so let's talk about something that isn't books. Let's talk about Chronicles, everyone. So a uh, pretty cool idea that Chris had a while back was uh, actually for Darkling episodes called uh, Skeletons in the Closet, where we take a uh, Chronicle idea we have and just kind of you know present it to everyone and talk about it kind of brainstorm some ideas and uh, just kind of see what happens. So uh, we decided for this episode um, that Chris and I would both present a chronicle. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah, finally, finally making use of this segment idea, uh, which yeah. you came up with at least two years ago, maybe three. Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a, if people want to send in their ideas to us, uh, so we can dissect, examine, take the piss, you know, whatever, um, it'll be good because finding decent secret frequencies can get very hard when you done them all um so this is just a different way of creating of presenting story ideas yep and actually we do have a good email um which would yes. be perfect to talk about this episode but since we're already an hour in <laughs> we're probably going to cover that some other time maybe uh maybe yeah. as a, a full segment so uh anyway Let's uh, let's talk about classic world of darkness. Let's talk about vampire. So um, this is actually kind of a sad thing for me to uh, to discuss this chronicle idea because I actually started to run it and then you know due to 
some technical and scheduling difficulties kind of fell through, which is unfortunate. It happens. It does. It does. In fact, Chig, uh, I was running this online. I was going to try to do a couple sessions, and Chig was one of the players. So I'm going to spoil everything, Chig. Everything. Hold on. Let me put my uh, my blinkers on, my blinders, so I don't see anything that you're spoiling. Oh, okay. No, it's okay. You can you can listen to it. Okay. Um. So the the original idea um came up with quite some time ago. Um, I was just looking at the uh, Salubri and the uh, Cappadocians, and uh, both of them, both clans, have the uh, disciplines Auspex and Fortitude. And I was just like, huh, that's pretty interesting, kind of unexpected. And it just so happens that these are the two clans which were uh, usurped by the uh, Tremere and the Giovanni, respectively. So that was just kind of neat, uh, which led me to kind of start to come up with a cool player character idea, which would be uh, a caitiff with both uh, Auspex and Fortitude. He would then be suspected and probably hunted by the Trevere and Giovanni of the city, um, which, you know, would be pretty tough. But, you know, you're a caitiff, so if you're playing that clan, you're uh, usually going to be in a pretty pretty rough situation. Uh, ends up actually not using this uh, player character, although I did try to get into a game with him. Um, but, you know, I started to actually form some ideas over time of uh, actually using this NPC as kind of a, a springboard for, for player characters to get into a uh, situation with uh, maybe an actual salubri character. You know, there's only seven of them, seven of them in the world of darkness at this time, uh, besides the salubri anti-tribu. Uh, so it would be, you know, kind of interesting to have, you know, this one unsuspecting caitiff uh, lead the player characters to him. Another idea, actually, this is kind of just a separate note, is I was playing around with some ideas of running a game where all the characters are the same clan. I thought that would be kind of neat. Because um, that kind of lets you... Because uh, the clans in Vampire, for example, are typically stereotypes. Um, so it's very easy for you to make a Bruja and be like, well, I'm going to make this biker dude. He's pretty angry. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind yeah. of the image you see. And that's what the, the, the splat text in, say, Vampire Revise kind of supports. So I wanted to just pick one clan and then explore some different character types beyond just the the static stereotype. Uh, Since I was playing around with the idea of using the Salubri, uh, which are the old healer clan, uh, which were usurped by the Tremere, which are the uh, modern sort of magician clan of uh, the Camarilla in Vampire, um, yeah, I just went with the Tremere. uh, Because they have a lot of options for powers as well, which gives you a lot of variety due to uh, the thaumaturgy. Uh, powers. So that led me to the Tremere Chronicle. Um, just playing around with some ideas for a chronicle uh, involving a bunch of Tremere characters exploring their uh, clan politics history and uh, the horrible acts they've done in the past. What could go wrong? I'm kind of going to go through some of my general chronicle design philosophies and uh, how I, I typically approach these. Um, I actually do have a uh, little article I was writing for the next Forgotten Lore uh, fanzine uh, so that I could uh, put these down on paper. Um, it's something I didn't really intend to do, but it's, it's uh, what I've noticed uh, overall over time. It's kind of the way I approach designing one-shots and chronicles and all that. So what I typically do is I first start by picking out a city. Um, that's usually pretty beneficial for World of Darkness games, um, especially Vampire, which is set up to explore specific city politics. I chose Boston because it's the city I live in or just outside of. 
uh, I know it pretty well, and it's pretty easy for me to just think up uh, people, places on the fly. So that's definitely uh, uh, pretty useful. Uh, Boston itself has a uh, uh, some canonical uh, benefits because it's been dis- discussed in different source books. Um, some later revised source books kind of describe it as a Camarilla city, which is actually controlled by the Giovanni, which is kind of a neat uh, political setup to start off with. Uh, there is another resource exploring Boston, which is the Dark Colony source book. It's a, a region book that explores all of New England. Um, it's not a very good source book, in my opinion. I don't really like the political structure they present, but I was able to grab the Prince of Boston and a few of the uh, local primogen from that uh, just to make designing the, the local Camarilla politics a bit easier, um, especially because they're not really the focus of this game. <clears throat> uh, we'll, we'll get into that uh, in a second. Another thing I want to... Uh, well, well, at this point, once I have a city... Um, I start to kind of create these centers of conflict. Um, The idea is that it's very easy to start sitting down and writing a plot for your uh, World of Darkness games. And then once you take that plot, actually, uh, you know, give it to the players and start to uh, explore it and play, it really just falls apart. It doesn't hold up. The characters, players start going in a completely different direction. And that can really uh, damage your uh, your game overall because you're reeling from that. So instead, I like to uh, pick out some core themes and uh, uh, conflicts, these centers of conflict, uh, which you can use to uh, really just form a basis for your different sessions and keep those in mind uh, as you're running a game so you can be pretty agile with uh, reacting to the players. The three centers of conflict I actually chose for this are the Salubri, of course, because they're going to be running into a Salubri character, Uh, Tremere politics, since all, all three characters were Tremere, and then also... Uh, I guess, thaumaturgical politics or the interactions between different thaumaturgical societies, since that's a, uh, a pretty major component of the uh, Tremere is their, their blood magic. Um, so just to kind of explain these really quick, uh, the Salubri would probably be the, the primary supernatural threat, and I kind of use that in quotation marks. Um, you know, the, the player characters would track down a lead on the uh, Salubri, which turns out to be this, this caitiff. Um, he's a physician who's treating the local homeless, and using them for a herd. Um, so they're tracking him down, thinking that he's some sort of a uh, demon soul-sucking salubri, and they find out that he's actually nothing of the sort. He's really just a, a caitiff. Uh, of course, the Giovanni have also been tipped off about this character and think that he's a Cappadocian. Uh, this would probably be because a, uh, a local vampire is trying to stir up some uh, conflicts between these, uh, these two clans. Um, specifically, uh, when I ran the first session, I... Uh, intended it for it to be the Nosferatu Primogen Warwick, who's fun fact from the Dark Colony sourcebook. So this, of course, brings the uh, the player characters into conflict with some of the local uh, Giovanni ghouls, and uh, they might fight them, might talk their way out. They might go and run away, hide in the car. Chig. <laughs> yeah. Running and hiding is a valid strategy. It was an extremely valid strategy. I only wish that the other player characters had followed you. <laughs> this this of course uh brings us to a situation the actual game that we ran um one of the uh one of the the characters uh, uh alex's was pretty badly hurt uh, i think he had six dots of aggravated damage uh not a good position to be in uh and this of course causes uh, uh victor the caitiff to call upon his 
I guess, secret mentor or, uh, yeah, we'll go with mentor. This, of course, is a salubri, which means that the uh, player characters themselves are now faced with a uh, one of these soul-sucking demons, and they have to uh, start to investigate, make choices, possibly capture and just kill this uh, this unfortunate uh, uh, bloodline member. But uh, there would be some very interesting uh, things to explore from there. This then would lead the characters to start to explore the Tribute history some more, finding out about the uh, usurpation of the uh, of the Dark Ages, and uh, it would also actually let them start to explore Salubri history a bit more, especially when one of the characters uh, kind of sprouts up a third eye, uh, which is one of the uh, kind of the weakness of the uh, or one of the features of the Salubri, um, which would kind of indicate that there is really a uh, shared common ancestry between the Tremere and this. Uh, enigmatic bloodline uh another thing to explore uh, another uh center of conflict is of course uh, tremere politics it's it's not as important as the uh, kind of overarching salubri story but it's definitely playing around in the in the background uh to demonstrate this i wanted to have a uh, two major players basically in the tremere that would be facing off against each other um so of course there's the local primogen uh, which the player characters all began indebted to, whether they were working for the uh, Primogen or they were actually bloodbound to her. Um, additionally, there is a, a new regent for the local Chantry, which is the uh, kind of Tremere base of operations, uh, uh, house of learning, and kind of, kind of common shared haven in some cases. Um, so they uh, they uh, start off, basically these, these two are in conflict, uh, because the new age, new regent is uh, rather uh, old and powerful and is coming into the city trying to assert his authority. And it decides to use the player characters uh, as a sort of gateway into the uh, local politics. Um, <clears throat> so this could kind of show the uh, infighting of the Tremere Pyramid and uh, kind of have some cool ideas for, uh, you know, just kind of demonstrating how the Tremere interact with themselves. And then finally, uh, let's talk about magical politics. Uh this is kind of an interesting, interesting situation. So um, the Tremere and the, the Giovanni are the two clans that have, two basic clans that have uh, the built-in thaumaturgy or path-based blood magic. Um, Tremere of thaumaturgy, Giovanni of necromancy. So it's pretty easy to uh, take those two and have them face off against each other on this sort of magical uh, playing field. Giovanni are... are kind of a cool clan but unfortunately they're something they're very similar to the Tremere in, in that they have their own mafia style pyramid scheme going on um they, they kind of feel like in a lot of ways that they're just cool ranch Tremere in my opinion <laughs> so I really wanted to uh and I didn't want to have a cold war situation either where it's just these two monolithic factions going against each other uh, I really wanted to include a third faction um and there's there's quite a few smaller groups that uh, have have thaumaturgy options. You know, the uh, followers of Set have their own thaumaturgy. The uh, Asimites have sorcerers, uh, a few of them. Bali kind of feel like they have uh, thaumaturgy in some ways. Um, and maybe you could even go with the uh, the Semedi and their uh, Thanatosis. But actually, what I decided to do was grab the Circle of the Crone from Vampire the Requiem because they have more of a uh, religious. Um, basis to their Kurok sorcery as opposed to the pyramid schemes as I mentioned of the uh, Tremere and the Giovanni so I thought that would be uh, pretty neat to use and then 
also there's a perfect location for them which is uh salem massachusetts just north of boston so uh that was pretty easy to just work them in right into that location where uh it'd be pretty easy for them to uh hide out so those are really the centers of conflicts that would be driving the story so you could see that uh once the player characters ran into the salubri maybe they would imprison them maybe they would kill or diablerize i'm not really sure how it would all play out um, but this sets them down a path where they have to uh, explore the history of their clan, uh, learning about uh, different places they've been, uh, perhaps going to Vienna. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to work in was uh, a trip to uh, some old Salubri ruins, um, maybe in the uh, uh, Asia Minor somewhere. I uh, kept kind of having this Indiana Jones uh, archaeological uh, exploration scene for maybe half a session or even a full session. I thought that would be pretty neat. And I, in fact, uh, uh, made a character a pre-made character specifically like Bear Grylls so that we could uh, have some fun with that. Uh, another thing that would be pretty interesting to work in would be uh, perhaps uh, some Salubri and Tichibu. Um, they exist in quite some number in the uh, Sabat, and it would be pretty easy for them to uh, come in and um, maybe if the, the Salubri was, uh, was captured and imprisoned, maybe they would try to spring them out and uh, attack the uh, Tremere Chantry. Uh, that could be kind of neat. Uh, the other idea I had was, uh, depending on how everything turns out, maybe these three player characters really become uh, sympathetic towards the uh, the Salubri. It might be interesting just uh, after the game's all done, be like, hey, everyone, thanks for playing in the uh, Salubri Chronicles. When the entire time they thought it was the Tremere Chronicles. <laughs> so there you go, guys. That's kind of the uh, basic idea right there. Um I, I think it's a pretty cool game. Uh, you know, maybe if this exalted group I'm in decides to play some vampire, I can uh, use it on them in the future. Could be uh, pretty neat. But uh, what do you guys think? Are there any uh, glaring issues? Any any other uh, aspects I should include in this overall chronicle structure? I think you know the idea of having them all from the same clan to investigate the clan politics is is quite similar to. Something I would want to do with Requiem, which is where they're all members of the same covenant, and in that case it's mm. the Ordo Dracul, because I think there's something really fun to play there where the politics intersects with the philosophical, magical kind of research and how different branches of that of that larger group have different approaches and there's this kind of internal rivalry that they have to deal with rather than just the the classic external um conflicts so um yeah the idea of a of a tremere chronicle from that point of view coupled with you know the origins of the tremere and the salubris very interesting because you know there's the whole thing of like them having to gain the prestige to to uh, go into certain archives in a in a chantry house let's say in on in a different country. Um, and that kind of, I guess, builds into the idea you want to do this, you know, uh, you know, Indiana Jones kind of thing where they then go off to some ancient ruin. I thought that could be cool. All right, Chig. Yeah, I was, I was totally just going to turn the guy into the, my boss for brownie points. I was, uh, I was not going to delve too deeply into the backstory. Just, Oh, Hey, I've heard of you. You're the bad guy and just sell him right out. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and that was definitely an option that could have happened. Yeah, uh, there's definitely some ways, uh, if that happens in this Chronicle, to uh, kind of play with things a bit more. Um, 
if you just turned him over, I would probably keep him alive for a little bit. He would just be imprisoned in the uh, Chantry, which would then play into the Tremere politics as uh, mm. maybe the uh, the regent wants to kind of interrogate and explore why this uh, Slubri was here, find out more. And also because this region is far older, he might actually remember what truly happened with the uh, usurpation. But then you have this Primogen character who wants to turn the uh, Salubrian uh, higher up in the pyramid scheme for more brownie points as well. So you have that uh, whole interplay going on. <clears throat> uh, and additionally, if this Salubri is still alive once one of the uh, characters sprouts a third eye, then, well, you might, you might want to go talk to that person, see what mm. you can do. Of course, then Chig's character probably wants to turn in the person with the third eye. Oh, yeah. For more brownie points. Oh, yeah. I'm all about the brownie points. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be interesting. It would be I gotta, interesting. I got to climb that ladder somehow, man. And, and if the first rung is your dead body, well... <laughs> hey, man, you're just playing vampire. Just playing vampire. Exactly. Yep. So that's all pretty good. Um, one of the ideas I was playing with Chig, and I want you to be on the level with this. This was just like an initial end game, which I was never really too happy with. But it was just like a goal to kind of work towards, and then hopefully I would think of something better before we actually got to it. Would be that towards the end, because you have this character, maybe all the characters would end up uh, sprouting third eyes, is you would eventually end up with this sort of like Tremere Salubri hybrid bloodline. Um, which would be kind of like a cool epic ending to it, is that, well, you and your player characters... Make your own bloodline. That's that's pretty neat in uh, Vampire the Masquerade. But it strikes me as just a little hollow, maybe not too original. I don't know how it would really play out. What, what What's what's your thinking here? Maybe uh, is there something cooler I could do? Than just well, like... I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of the uh, Salubri in general, but uh, I'm really not sure what you would do with that and how you would keep this uh, basically heretical oh no demon tainted line alive you know what i'm saying yep no it's definitely like, pretty tough like yeah okay so there's there's four of us and there's seven real salubri somewhere in the world maybe but uh what i mean how do how do you prevent yourself from being eaten by everybody else in the chantry or how do you prevent them from convincing the prince hey look they're summoning demons, and we know this because they were summoning demons in our house. We should totally call a blood hunt on them. Yep. No, what's, it's what's, uh, what's kind of the long term strategy there? I didn't have one. That's why I was trying to think of oh. something better. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be more of like an, a kind of an ending. Uh, wouldn't really explore what happened afterwards after this was kind of created. And I also couldn't really figure out a good point to it. Like, why would I just combine these two clans? Um, is there anything you can derive from anything to do with the from the uh, Order of Hermes and you know from uh, whichever chronicle book it was that detailed you know the uh, conflict between the Tremere and and those mages? Maybe oh, it's blood maybe treachery, it's yeah. yeah. So maybe the 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 uh, the amalgamation of the bloodlines is perhaps some. Um, form of I don't know maybe it's some sort of mage kind of uh, curse 
It could be. It could be. Uh, Blood Treasure is not a super great source book. I'm not sure if Chig read it. Uh, as I understand it, I've not. <laughs> as I understand it, Blood it's basically treasure? the Order of Hermes go to the Tremere Mega Chantry, knock on the door, and then start throwing fireballs. But then, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I actually the we're talking about the uh, the Mage source book. Bl- yeah, 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 yeah. I really enjoyed that book. Really, it's a uh, really? it's. Yeah, I mean, for you know, I really like the Tremere. I really like Mage. It 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 kind of worked for me. Um, it's definitely a a full chronicle book in presented in a a single source book. So you would really have to do a lot of work yourself expanding that to make it into a full chronicle. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, I really like the idea there. Yeah, it's pr- a, it's a cool it's idea. Fun. I'm not sure if it was a good execution. I've not seen a, a yeah. Solid well, view of like, it. like like I said, it's it's a good uh, a good skeleton on which you can hang the meat of your own chronicle. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a good start. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So there we go. Basically, I need more work on the end game of this. Is basically I think what uh, what we're coming to here. Also, I'm curious as to what uh, the Bear Grylls character <laughs> would do. Because vampires don't drink urine, <laughs> um, so I uh, you could feed off of rats. He must be really good at that. Sure. Maybe I should have given him a dot in animalism. That would have been a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it makes trapping rats for food that much easier. Yep. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, anything else here, or should we uh, move on to the secret frequency? Uh, let's do the secret frequency then. All right, sweet. So we're going to cover the phantom cosmonauts of the USSR. So obviously we had the space race uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union and of course they were vying to be uh, the first to have viable space transport and obviously land on the moon to prove their uh, capabilities in such technologies which of course when you want to be able to deliver nuclear weapons upon your enemies um, you know space uh, rockets are pretty good at that um, and this concerns, though, this concerns the idea of these uh, people known as lost cosmonauts, because obviously there have been numerous accidents in space over time. The theory is that in Italy, uh, with, uh, there were a pair of brothers, uh, Achille and Giovanni, Giudica, uh, Codiglia. Uh, the brothers were amateur radio operators who had already become well known for picking up transmissions from Sputnik and, you know, Sputnik 2 and the. Uh, the probe that sent up Laika, the space dog, and so it was sending back transmissions of her heartbeats. So on November 28, 1960, the brothers were alerted to something strange. An East German observatory announced that they had picked up a strange signal on the Soviet space frequencies. Uh, the brothers tuned in and they found the signal uh, sounded like a hand-keyed SOS. More disturbing was that the signal showed no relative relative speed, and it could mean only one thing: it was on a distant course away from the planet. 
As the brothers listened, uh, the signal grew weaker and weaker until it finally winked out. Uh, the brothers apparently had discovered evidence that there was a Soviet space capsule, capsule that had gone off course and had drifted out into the outer cosmos. Two months later, the brothers detected another transmission. This time, it seemed to be the laboured breaths of an unconscious man and his heartbeat. When they played this to their father, who was a cardiologist, he came to the conclusion that the heartbeat was of a man suffering cardiac arrest. Two days later, the Soviets announced the failed re-entry of a large unmanned spacecraft. Then, April uh, ni- in April 1961, the brothers picked up the transmissions of Yuri Gagarin, but that wasn't the end of it, because obviously Yuri Gagarin was of course meant to be the first official person in space in orbit of the Earth. So what was more disturbing was that in May uh, that year they picked up a new transmission. It was a woman's voice speaking Russian. She seemed calm and professional in her in her tone. And then as she went on, she became more panicked. And then eventually the transmission ended. The translation of this message is, Isn't this dangerous? Talk to me. Our transmission begins now. I feel hot. I can see a flame. Am I going to crash? Yes, I feel hot. I will re-enter. So... The Cold War Russia obviously has numerous secrets to it, and uh, it's well documented there were a number of cosmonaut deaths before Gagarin's uh, spaceflight. Uh, the most well-known of these uh, was uh, Grigory Nelyabov, who was a cosmonaut who committed suicide in 1966 after being bounced from the program, apparently erased from records. Uh, he was even airbrushed out of photos and numerous other things. So, um, of course, these these signals from these lost cosmonauts were uh, never uh, confirmed. Never the Soviet Union never acknowledged them. And given the level of secrecy, there's never been any confirmation of where these come from. So, how do we use the phantom cosmonauts of the USSR? Um. I would say that there are numerous things you could go with. Uh, in New World Darkness, obviously, these are signals from capsules that have been sent uh, by um, by a branch of the uh, Soviet space program to try and make contact with the God Machine. Uh, and we're expecting these cosmonauts to return at some point, having been made part of the God Machine's uh, workings now that they have been elevated to become angels uh maybe the cosmonauts will return though by different means they will return as as uh, as human hosts of the idigam who have finally escaped their uh, their prisons on the moon or maybe other strange uh astral bodies another idea is maybe these uh these spaceships uh these craft uh, make contact with some sort of uh, maybe a uh, maybe a, a comet or an asteroid of some form and so you can get some idea of that idea from maybe it's not a great film but maybe uh, life force which deals with an alien spacecraft 
that is within uh, Halley's Comet and is populated by strange vampiric alien creatures. Uh, so yeah, maybe these cosmonauts come back as a form of uh, Strix-like spirit, but they are vampires of some form. Uh, or uh, perhaps they return, their bodies having been fused together with, uh, due to the strange um, energies that exist out in space. Uh, like the Van Allen uh, radiation belts and, and cosmic rays, and come back as a as a uh, as a seventh form of Promethean, uh, Promethean that is that fuels cosmic energy. Yeah, that's just a few ideas off the top of my head. One idea you could work with here is that. Perhaps this uh, individual was actually not a cosmonaut on re-entry, the, uh, specifically the, uh, the woman who is uh, yeah. uh, feeling the heat and burning. Uh, maybe she's actually going into the Earth. Uh, and actually, in, in recent news, uh, there were some strange, almost bottomless pits that were found in uh, Siberia uh, yeah. in Russia. So it's quite possible that maybe this person was exploring the center of the Earth as opposed to coming in from outer space. That's kind of cool. The other thing you could possibly do with any of these is, uh, while you have a signal, you don't know when it was sent, so there could be some weird time uh, anomaly slash paradox, something going on. Uh, And so the the signal that these are sent on and everything, uh, maybe these aren't from the Soviet space program, but are actually uh, signals from uh, Russian uh, astronaut cosmonauts from the future, and uh, something there. Uh, so it's a prelude to their arrival, and then we have to deal with what they uh, what happens at that time when we finally catch up with it. Anything for classic world of darkness? There's mostly something we can do with technocracy, some sort of uh, technocratic program that's gone wrong. Uh, Maybe... uh, This is how the Void Engineers uh, shunted their uh, paradox. Yes. So, because it's it's a a, uh, a new technology, of course, it is prone to paradox because all technology is just magic by another name so they had to uh, erase these people from the timeline uh, which they did quite literally using time magic which is why you can't really capture these uh, there's no information of them you can't find any pictures of these people they weren't airbrushed out they were removed using a, a time procedure they, they not only did they not exist in the uh, cosmonaut space program they did not exist in time period uh, what if these signals allow for a way for the dead cosmonauts to uh, uh, to so so imagine that they, they that in modern times you pick up a signal from their capsule wherever it has gone out into space and what returns is some sort of uh, cosmic ghost. So an idea for maybe for Wraith. 
So are you talking about a Dark Kingdom of Void? Yeah, do- oh, that's Because I really like this idea. A Dark because Kingdom of, of the Dead of Space. It's a very, very small kingdom. It'd be populated by a very select amount of individuals. Very, very few people are in this Dark Kingdom, and it's inaccessible to most raids due to the, uh, the, whatchamacallit, the, um... Tempest. There you go. The Tempest, and, uh, but the race of this, uh, Dark Kingdom are insanely powerful. Because they didn't get hit by the, uh, Maelstrom, yeah. Ooh. Oh. And, oh. and because they are way out there in and they have no one to guide them and nothing along those lines when they die uh, their uh, their shadows are not while they, their shadows are super duper mega powerful and may have even taken them over and made them into um, what's the word I'm looking for here Mike specters specters mm. yeah I know all the pronouns or nouns <laughs> proper nouns that's what I want all right, Chig. So in Changeling the Dreaming, <laughs> the moon landing awakened. The moon landing and- in 1969 is what brought back the uh, the she, yes. So there is a connection to space in Changeling the Dreaming. Um, it's possible that to prepare the way for the Shining Host to return, there had to first be a blood sacrifice, a tithe, as it were, a... a a, ch- a fey tain uh, where you had to give seven of your best and brightest uh, to the fey every so many years to keep them from just utterly destroying your civilization so perhaps the lost cosmonauts are the the tithe to the fey uh, so that they could keep their, their claim on uh, on Arcadia but Chig who would be sacrificing these individuals? What kind of a cult in, in the Changeling universe would be doing such a thing? It couldn't be any commoners, could it? No, of course not. It is the um, USSR themselves in a last-ditch effort to beat uh, the American powerhouse that was just slowly, slowly destroying their communist way of life. Uh, the... Uh, Russian high command decided to uh, try anything and everything that they could cu- that they could think of that might possibly work, and that included some sketchy magic that might bring back uh, their own version of the uh, the she. And in fact, eventually the uh, she house uh, did come back. Uh, I think it was House Verich, or was it House Asin? The uh, the Russian themed uh, changeling house. Intriguing, intriguing. And in many ways, now that I think about it, the changeling setup does actually somewhat reflect uh, Russian communist government, doesn't it? You have the uh, she and the uh, communist party on top, and then pretty much everyone else on the bottom, just the commoners who are all pretty much the same. Um, it's really a, a modern post concordance war uh, effect that you can actually have commoners that are knights and uh, that sort of thing indeed indeed it is a it is a completely modern creation except for a few very loyal trolls and uh, red caps among the unseely interesting 
Interesting. So there you go. There's your uh, changeling plot hook of the episode. Got to have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think with that, let's move on over to the new world of darkness. Skeleton in the closet. World of Darkness 2.0. So, um, so my chronicle outline is for something which I have yet to run. Uh, and it is for Geist the Sin Eaters. Um, my Latin is mostly crap for the title of this. It's uh, Memento More e Memento Sanguinis, which should basically say, uh, remember the dead, remem- uh, uh, remember, th- remember how they bleed, or something to that effect. So the idea is that they are, um, this group of Sin Eaters uh, are in modern Paris, because, of course, Paris is, uh, has layered history ranging from ancient times, Roman, medieval, Tudor, Renaissance, revolutionary, Napoleonic, two world wars, and, of course, now. Um, also, as we said, Paris has some interesting history. Uh, we've said in previous um, Dark Days, interesting history to do with, with alchemy. Uh, we have the, uh, the catacombs uh, of Paris where uh, people would flee and... Yeah, where the, you can find um, skeletons that have been kept or osseries and so forth. Um, the main antagonist uh, for this chronicle uh, is to be a mage, though more importantly, it's a ghost mage. So in... Uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, anyway, so the ghost mage um, is uh, to do with... Um, in Mage the Awakening, uh, a mage can, uh, can even in death, retain their abilities over their arcana. So this mage has a, uh, a very simple reason for what he wants to do, which is, uh, which is to, um, which is to, <laughs> to, uh, I'm just reading all oh, the metal, whatever that we're, is. We're uh, messing with Chris. The, you're, uh, yeah, you're messing with me on reading stuff. stuff. What? Anyway, no, no, yeah, that's crazy talk. So anyway, the the mage, this ghost mage, uh, wants to rework reality so that he is once more alive, and also so is one of his loved ones. And to do this, it requires him seeking out uh, something known, uh, an abyssal artifact known as the Globe of Tesseract. Uh, if anyone knows what Tesseract is, a Tesseract is a four-dimensional cube. Um, so Globe of Tesseract, of course, sounds completely uh, crazy. Um, the point about this is that the globe, of course, uh, has been lost for centuries, decades, you know, years, millennia, and was last used in Pompeii. So the whole point about this uh, globe is it's able to rework reality on a... Uh, on a in a time and a more material way so it reworks the geography of the world and in doing so if you rework that certain th- events can never have happened so essentially he's looking to remove paris from from reality uh his attempt of course to regain this will mean uh involving the underworld creating an avarian gate to this nightmare realm of ash and volcanic uh, activity and there's another relic that he needs, uh, which is held by a mummy. Uh, so the outline of this is that the players being Sin Eaters, there aren't many Sin Eaters uh, in the world, um, will 
to begin with, we uh, have to deal with uh, a series of bizarre uh, deaths involving Roman funerary rites, people uh, being uh, spon- undergoing spontaneous combustion, uh, other events of, say, drowning. And these are all representative of, of uh, the angry and vengeful dead that come from this this uh, domain in the underworld, which is representative of the dead of Pompeii. Uh, and then the next element would be, because uh, it's, it's meant to be a, chronic, a short chronicle with um, kind of loose-fitting episodes that go together. And so the next kind of thing I wanted to tap on in it is the idea of um, kind of like the classic ghost in the machine type thing. And so he, the, uh, the ghost mage is going about um, uh, killing people to gain the correct... Um, the correct... Uh, you know, magical numbers, uh, which would be able to a part of the ritual to use this globe, and that results in some ghostly going on, uh, where the uh, troop would have to deal with the victims of 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 the uh, extraction of these numbers, and the victims, uh, their ghosts will be interacting with technology and uh, and uh, with computers and so forth. Um, then the uh, next episode I had was to deal with some insane murderer who was in an asylum who's now free, known as the Paris Eye Stealer. And uh, each of his kills leaves behind a, a rather strange uh, ghost, uh, and a victim brought back uh, brought back by his uh, ritual murders um, from the d- domain of the blind Hyperion. Uh, so these these uh, dead can see the, see your sins, and so they will be uh, acting. You know, they they'll be lashing out because they can see people's uh, innate sin. Uh, sin, and the whole point about that episode is just to kind of break up the chronicle so that the the troop of sin eaters um, are dealing with obviously a very strange mystery, but also having to deal with the uh, the the fallout of the dead due to a very mortal uh, killer. Um, so the eye stealer is essentially working through the list of people, um, so the, the members of the jury at his trial. Uh, episode four, Memories of Irem, uh, is to do with uh, the ghost of, of um, a ghost who dates all the way back to Irem, who's unleashed as a tool by the ghost mage in order for him to gain the artifact from uh, one of the Risen. Of course, when the Risen wakes up, there's going to be a whole load of hell unleashed as numerous people will die around him. And so there's, there's, a, massive, uh, there's a massive burst of, of ghostly um, apparitions and activity uh, that the troop would have to deal with there. And that would bring them directly into conflict with, uh, with one of the Risen who have, you know, can display uh, massive amounts of power and uh, control over the undead or the dead. Um, the next part, episode five, Memories of the World, is how this ghost mage uh, has basically gone to, uh, is raising the dead from of a ghost uh, from graveyards so that he has a member of someone that has died on every continent um or comes from each continent so he can he can have these uh, souls and 
the conflict then uh, for this one, I wanted to be against a, a more Japanese self-styled Oni type ghost um, who is obviously uh, seeking out uh, revenge and retribution due to uh, his uh, due to his uh, emotional uh, investment in the events of World War Two. So that's a, a more of a Again, just to bring some more cultural diversity into the game to deal with how different ghosts kind of portray themselves. Um, the sixth episode in this is Memories of Pangea. So the ghost mage needs uh, a few other things for his ritual. And this one is he needs a bone from the world before our own. So in other words, this is a uh, he needs a bone, a particular bone of a particular dinosaur. Uh and this theft will reawaken the spirit of one of these long lost beasts. So again, it, it, that allows me to tap into the kind of spirit ghost kind of combination uh, that you get with, with um, you can get in the world of darkness and allows me just to kind of have an antagonist that is more similar to kind of a Magath from Well of the Forsaken. And then finally, the, the final episode is of course the grand conclusion of this and, uh, uh, relies on potentially in any of this as uh, a, a location within the depths of the Paris catacombs. Um, and that's generally the outline. Um, I did start writing up, I've got like the first two, uh, first episode, first two episodes potentially uh, written up with uh, various um, kind of puzzles and clues in there. Uh, the main thing that keeps Popping up is uh, there's some quotes from Revelations uh, and some Latin stuff, which the ghost in the first episode would say that taps into uh, their origin. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's my kind of chronicle outline for Geist. Sounds uh, pretty rad, Chris. Yeah, definitely the uh, episodic nature uh, is pretty good for flexibility, so I'm guessing you're going to just complete each episodic story in one session? Is that the intent? Normally I find it takes me at least uh, two sessions to run an episode through okay. fully. Um, and also, by keeping, by using the episodes as they are, uh, I think there's enough so that they're kind of, they are self-contained and it relies a certain amount on the players to, um, to kind of, they'll be given enough clues They'll be given the the clues will be there, and it's really up to the players on how much they can get. Uh, you know, have a shortcut to the end because one of the things I uh, this turned up in discussion of how you run mysteries and and um, puzzles is that the last thing you want to do is is that the reliance of the players to progress further in the plot or to gain an advantage in the plot is for is based purely on dice rolls. As in, oh, well, you didn't see that clue because you didn't roll high enough. That's like, that's generally crap because at least one member in the troop will have an investigative skill ability high enough that they will, on walking into the room and just, or, or area and walking around, will gain, will gain access to a certain amount of obvious clues to them. And so really the whole point then is that you're dishing out after that anything that they then put effort into gives them the chance to come to a better conclusion that gives them a better advantage in later episodes. 
Okay. I take and the also, opposite approach where if <clears throat> there's like a clue that you need to find, you just ask everyone to take the roles or whatever. Um, and usually I just do that to stall a little bit as I'm thinking of what the actual clue is going to be. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's normally because I have the clues kind of sorted out. So the, the fact is that I put in red herrings as well. So mm. the, I want to see the players feel like they're putting the puzzle together. And then with without having to to store them in that way. So it's something more that I've seen. It's an approach that comes more from playing in uh, Trail of Cthulhu, so the gumshoe system. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of just letting people have a certain amount of you find stuff relatively quickly without having to roll stuff. Um, uh, let's see, what else can I say about the first episode? I mean, the first episode... Um, you know, there's there's a there's a number of different uh, kind of bodies. So, for example, in the catacombs, they'll find because mm-hmm. the idea is that the the crew will mostly trawl the catacombs of Paris because it gives them easy access to ghosts, and of course, it bring it they're closer to the uh, to the underworld there because it's these low places that have gateways to the underworld. For example, one of the 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 they'll find an angry ghost who uh, has. Their, their clothes are burnt. Uh, they have obols, so coins, stitched onto their tongue, which hangs loose from their mouth. There's a smell of embalming fluids, and they speak. Uh, they say from they they speak out this passage from Revelation fourteen eleven, which is the smoke of the of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Um, and so some of these things are clues and some of them are just to really make the ghost seem like it's acting out in some particular way uh, so I'll, I'll even have some of these things I'll have, I've taken from passages and I'll actually read them out in Latin instead because then it'll be really kind of weird um, hmm. for example the second victim in this is drowned in the sewers so that's representative of the fact that the uh, the these ghosts, these angry ghosts from Pompeii, are looking to to share their pain and end their pain. So it's either they're immolating people or they're wanting to drown to get rid of the flames that they still feel. And uh, so again, there's some uh, the ghost the, the the ghost of the second victim will have like wastewater and mud spill from its mouth continuously while garbling in Latin, Atlas Telamon. Uh, which obviously means something to do with the world. Um, and of course, the key thing here then is that in one hand, this victim holds around a globe-like mass of mud and filth, which has traces of volcanic ash in there. So there's there's loads of little bits to take from there. Uh, the angry dead of Pompeii, I was going to have take the form of hellhounds. So they, they, they're like, they, they take the form of dogs that have had their skin burnt off. Um, and that means then they it fits into the idea of like how on the metro networks within some cities that uh, wild animal wild dogs actually have learned how to use the metro network to their own benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just different ways to kind of make crazy kind of ghosts and uh, not have and really just show that that Geist is about using the dead that the ghosts are not always your antagonists they are actually your means to solve the 
the mystery and, and the plot of the story. Okay, I like it. I like it. But Chris, I have one last question for you. And I feel this is kind yeah. of important, and maybe you don't have a, a reason yet, but what is the motivation of this ghost mage? Why is he even doing this? Oh, so, so he, he's, he's basically so crazy that he's mostly tried, before he died, tried numerous ways to, uh, to undo the uh, death of his loved one. And the only way he can see doing he can see doing it, doing so is to is to rework the world wholesale. Not just by changing time, but by changing the geography of the world, so that that place could never have been for her to be in, for her to have died. Because if you if you go back in time and change something, there can be the knock on butterfly effect that she dies somewhere else. But if you his, his craziness has led him to just want to remove this entire location. But he's a mad ghost. Yep. And he's a mage. And his, uh, his reasoning doesn't have to make sense. You know? And he sees it a way for him to come back into being as well. Ah, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Mm, yeah, I like it. Sweet. All right. I think that's it for the New World of Darkness. Let's move on to our closing remarks. Yep. All right. That's uh, That was a long <laughs> episode. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to uh, discuss more of this kind of stuff in the future. Uh, yes. We are, of course, Darker Days Radio. Uh, you can check us out at darker-days.org. Send us an email at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. Check us out on Google+. Plus. Just search for Darker Days Radio. You can join our community. It's pretty awesome. And we actually had a pretty strong influx of uh, members recently. So that's definitely pretty rad. Anything else, Chris? All the audio for Gen Con for the panels is up. So... Someone did mention on the Onyx Path blog, it'd be great if that high-quality audio from Eddie could be matched up with the video that Chick took. But that'd be kind of crazy to try out. It would um, be super nice. It'd be really nice, yeah. I might try anybody, it. Some... Anybody wants to try that, you just let me know. <laughs> um, but otherwise, uh, again, it'd be really great to do a another issue of... Um, of the forgotten law um it's just that i personally don't have time to uh do the editing and layout so i think that's something we should really try and foist upon the fans to give them the the chance to you know write something edit it and get the layout done because the layout's easy yeah we'll see what we can do we'll see what we can do. yeah all right sweet i think that's it for this episode of darker days radio uh good night See ya. Good night, everybody. Hey, Jake, we didn't have any, like, nerd fight for this episode to put it at the, uh, put at the end of the show. So we gotta do something real quick. All right? Jig. Yeah, Mike. Get ready for this. Okay. Who would win in a fight? High King David from Changing the Dreaming mm-hmm. or Jonas Albrecht from Werewolf? Go. Hmm. I'm going to go with High King David because he has Excalibur. 
And um, in one of the source books, it's mentioned that uh, she weapons are made of moon silver. So suck it, werewolves. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's he's bones. 